All right, so this morning we're going to read from Luke 2, and Luke 2 is going to be the center of our thoughts, really the passage that we're going to be talking about. We are going to be flipping some other places just to kind of elaborate on some of the thoughts in Luke 2, but this is where we'll be sitting. I thought, I was, I really struggle with coming up with helpful lessons. I mean, I guess that's a good struggle, you know, because you're trying to think of things that could be helpful for people, but... Um, I was trying. I was thinking about our theme, um, learning about Jesus's life and teaching, and then trying to live out his life and teaching, especially for other people reaching out with that. And I thought, well, what better thing than to talk about Jesus himself? And I'm trying. I I tried to pick some things um, that haven't really overlapped with what we're already doing. Um, I thought for a little while, oh, I'll just kind of maybe preach through some chapters, and I thought, well, that's what we're doing in Bible class. So. Do a little more um, thematically than just textually in this. But I thought we'd look at Jesus, um, but I wanted to look at Jesus through the eyes of a couple different people. And so this morning we look at Jesus from Luke 2 when Simeon looks at Jesus and see and focus on what Simeon sees in Jesus, even when he's a baby. Um, and so that's, that's what our lesson is about this morning, titled it Jesus Through the Eyes of Simeon. Simeon's kind of an odd character in the Bible because we don't really know much about him at all. He just kind of up, up appears in Jerusalem when Jesus is an infant, maybe a couple months old, and he disappears after this. We never see him again um, as far as Scripture is concerned. But he's always been one of my favorite characters in the Gospels because he makes the most of his few verses. Um, his, his one little mention here in the Bible is... Every time I read this passage, he has so much that he says that has stuck with me um, that I think it's cool. So the way I'm going to approach this lesson is I want to look at the the actual things Simeon says, um, but I want to kind of break it down in a couple ways. First, I think the the first two things that Simeon says about Jesus really relate to who he is. And then the second two things, the primary two things that Simeon says about Jesus after that relate to what he's going to do. So he kind of says who he is at the beginning, and then he says, and this is what he's going to do. All right, with that, let's read these verses, uh, just a couple verses here, again, to get it fresh in our minds. I appreciate Robin reading them for us. Um, I'm going to focus on a couple verses here. Verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. We'll stop there for now. So Simeon is identified in Scripture and by God as having been a righteous and devout man. Um, We can only imagine what he might look like as a person. Um, It seems like he's an older guy because of the way he talks about having been waiting for this one and God promised him that he would see this one. And what he ends up saying a little bit, um, or in verse 26, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or Messiah. Um, and so 
it seems like in my head he's kind of an older guy. It seems like maybe he'd been waiting for a while. Um, but that's not really what Scripture focuses on. It focuses on who he was, not what he looked like. But it focuses on who he was, and Scripture tells us that he was a righteous and devout man. I think that's really interesting. So this righteous and devout Jewish guy in Jerusalem sees an infant. Um, the Holy Spirit's upon him. And even as Jesus is a baby, I mean, we're talking top a couple months old, he's able to see in Jesus some really key things before Jesus is able to ever tell him that he's those things. <laughs> um, and the first thing that he sees, it's actually uh, verse 25, is the fact that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Wouldn't that have been like a big kind of socio-political mess if you're Jewish? Like you're waiting for the comfort of your people? That's really what consolation means. Um, ever since Israel was faithless in the land of Canaan and they had problems with retaining the land and then eventually being kicked out of the land and being taken into captivity... That had been probably the main desire of the righteous Jewish people, right? To be comforted again by the Lord. And to them, that meant there was going to be this one that was going to come and make everything right. And he'd bring justice and peace for our people. And we would have a land again and we'd be Israel again. And so he's waiting for that. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Mary's holding this little baby. And it seems as if in verse 25, he's waiting for this consolation of Israel, and then he meets Jesus. And the Lord had told him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And the Lord's Messiah is inherently tied to being the comforter of Israel. And so Simeon, really our implication here is, is he gets to see the consolation of Israel, even while that consolation is still an infant. Um, and I want us to look at a couple passages of what it means to, for Jesus to have been, or to be, as he still exists, the consolation or the comfort of Israel. Um, if you want to, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. As we work through the lesson, we're going to go to Luke to make our point, and then go to mostly prophecy, to kind of see how it's fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, and we will be looking at uh, verses 2 through 5 and then 6 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, of them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation... You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Um, for every boot of the training, tramping warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, and we burned as fuel for the fire. Not a pretty image, these first few verses. Um, we have a lot of darkness. Uh, blood, burdens, oppression in this passage. But then it's not till verse 6 that we see this glimmer of hope, almost a comfort in the picture. 
verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In Isaiah chapter 9, uh, I mean really the context of Isaiah is all about how captivity is terrible and there's trouble. But there's always these, in Isaiah we have maybe some of our most explicit pictures of the Messiah coming. We read Isaiah 42, and we're going to reference it again in this lesson. Maybe you think of in your own head, you think of other passages, Isaiah 52, 53. Maybe you think of later in chapter, in the 60s, some more pictures of Jesus. We always have these portraits of misery right before Jesus is introduced. And even in some ways, Jesus is a portrait of sorrow. But it's always in the context of doing something bigger, something greater. And so as Simeon is hoping to see the consolation of Israel, he looks at this baby. He looks at Jesus as an infant. And you can only imagine that when he sees the Christ Messiah, he makes the connection. There's this one that's promised, this son that's been given, that's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. On his shoulder, he's going to bear the burden of rule or as it says in Isaiah 9, government, and of peace there will be no end. And so as he looks at this baby, he can only imagine this baby, seeing this infant, he's going to be the comfort of my people. He's going to be the consolation of Israel. Um, If you want to look at Isaiah 53, we'll look there as well. Um, the context of Isaiah 53 really comes after, well, it's a silly thing to say, it comes after 51 and 52. But the context of 51 and 52 um, really is that only, without God there is no comfort. That's really the context of 51 and 52. He keeps saying, these idols aren't going to comfort you and they're not going to bring you anything. Well, then he gets to Isaiah 52 and 53, and we're going to read in Isaiah 53... And we're going to read at the very beginning of the chapter. We're going to read verse 3 here. Speaking of uh, Jesus, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. So the portrait of Jesus in Isaiah 53 doesn't seem very comforting. It seems like He's a man of sorrows and He's despised and rejected and hated. Um... But it's this man of sorrows that Isaiah 9 is also talking about. Though Jesus experiences the sorrow, and we're going to talk more about what that means and why that is, he's able to still be the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. He's still that one to whom a son has been given. Um, And so as Simeon thinks about the comfort of Israel, I'm sure any good... Jewish person familiar with scripture taught in the synagogues hearing scripture read when they think of the comfort of Israel I don't know what passages someone might think of I imagine any number would be good but maybe he thinks about Isaiah 9 maybe he thinks about the one who's promised to bring peace and consolation and counseling and that 
that kind of imagery. Maybe he thinks about Isaiah 53. There's going to be this one that's promised that's going to be, in a sense, he's going to be miserable. He's going to be a man of sorrows. People are going to hate him. But he still, as you read Isaiah 53, he still brings comfort to other people. He still brings comfort to the people. And so, in, in verses 29 and 30 of Luke 2, if you want to turn back there with me, Luke 29, or Luke chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your son. And he continues on from there. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. And after his encounter with Jesus, he concludes that he's seen it. There's no question of like, well, was, was, this, was this baby it? Like, I'm unsure. Uh, he doesn't really fit the picture, but Simeon with the Holy Spirit on him is absolutely certain that he can die now because the promise that God had given him had been fulfilled. And so, however it is, Simeon sees this in Jesus as a baby. However that's possible, he did see it and he was confirmed of that. And so I think it's interesting that Simeon is able to see this in Jesus, that he would be a comfort to his people. You know, I don't know how much we view Jesus in those exact terms. I think maybe we think about Jesus as being comforting because of what he does. But do we really think about him being a comfort for his people? Um, is, do we really think about him in terms of prophecy, how he will be the consolation of Israel, how he will bring peace, and how when how the portrait of people is really doom and gloom and despair and hurt until Jesus comforts. Um, I think that's a helpful lesson for us. As Simeon sees in Jesus as a baby, how much more should we, in hindsight, be able to see that Jesus really was the true consolation of his people? That he really was the injection of comfort and really what is despair and hurt. Um, and we'll talk more about how that's so as we continue through Luke 2. So the next thing that Simeon says in uh, Luke chapter 2 is actually in verse 32. In Luke chapter 2, verse 32, um, I want to focus on what he says here. He says many more things than what I'm taking time to look at. I just picked a couple out. In Luke chapter 2, verse 32, he says... A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Again, he's speaking of Jesus. He says, I have seen uh, salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Simeon is able to see in Jesus as he looks at him, as he holds him. Not only is Jesus a comfort to his people, which would be an allusion to Israel, comfort to those who are faithful to God, but he would be a light to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. I think this is an interesting observation on Simeon's part, and I no doubt believe that the Holy Spirit is helping him make these connections and helping him see that these things. But immediately, Simeon realizes that this baby this one that's bringing comfort, that's going to someday be the consolation of peoples, isn't just for Israel. Now, at the same time, he does say that 
this one, this baby, this Jesus, does do something for Israel. It brings glory to Israel. But he's not just for Israel. We might think back about in Jesus' birth. When Jesus was born, the first people to come to see him were who? Well, they were shepherds. They were people nearby that would have been pasturing flock. And where Jesus was born, those people were Jewish. They would have been Jewish shepherds in the area. But then you also think about when you look at other gospel accounts and you kind of pair them together, you also see wise men from the east coming to see Jesus. The shepherds saw Jesus almost, it seems like, fairly immediately. Um, They come, (laughs) as my brain thinks about it, probably because of pop culture references and things. It's like the night of Jesus is born. They're right there in the manger with them. But the men from the east that came to see Jesus wouldn't have been Jewish. And they would have come much later. And to me, that illustrates even in Jesus' birth that Jews and Gentiles were looking to Jesus. And I think Simeon even recognizes that when he encounters him. He says that he would be a light to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. Let's go to Isaiah 42, passage we read from a little bit earlier. We actually read the verses we're going to read, but I'm going to focus in on a specific thing in here. I can imagine as Isaiah or as Simeon is looking at Jesus, he might think of a passage like Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison those who sit in darkness. Simeon looks at a baby and sees this baby, this infant, as being the one who would be a light for all of the nations. And he even specifically mentions the Gentiles. So he was taking a step a lot of Jews didn't take and making the connection to his day. You know, In Isaiah, you say, all the nations, contemporary with Jesus, people would have said, all the Gentiles, right? And so Simeon is saying, everybody is going to be coming to this infant. He's going to be the light for all the people. I can't help but think Simeon maybe thought of a passage like Isaiah 42 and recognized that Jesus was the fulfillment of this. But that's not where it ends. It's not that God doesn't keep his promise also to the Israelite people. Um, He would be a glory to Israel. In Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 32, I just referenced this just to show something we all probably already understand and and we know. But in Luke chapter 1 verse 32... Speaking of Jesus, um, the angel speaking of this one that's going to come for, through Mary. And it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Well, Simeon recognized that about Jesus as well. Yeah, he's going to be a light to all the nations, but God kept his promise. He's a glory to Israel because the promised one was from them. The promised one wasn't just from Israel. He was from the best line of Israel. 
right? They would think about passages like when Jesus came around claiming to be who he was many years later. And they start wondering, who is this guy? You know, isn't he just that Nazarene guy? Isn't he maybe Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? Well, then he starts saying and preaching the things that he says and he preaches. And then they start looking up his lineage. And where is he from? He's from the line of David. And so we certainly see that God kept his promise throughout Scripture. Really, we see maybe even the most clearly beginning in um, 1 Samuel when he makes references to this. When he talks about how Jesus, or from David, there'd be this one that would reign forever. And so Simeon recognizes the importance not only to (laughs) probably everybody in this room as Gentiles, as other people, but he recognizes the promise that God keeps in bringing Jesus through Israel and how that would be a glory to them. Can you imagine, like, if you had believed in something your whole life and it turned out not to be true? That'd really be like a dishonor to you. You'd be kind of, I don't know, embarrassing. And really, you wouldn't feel glorified in that at all, right? But if everyone ridicules you for that, and makes fun of you, and you're oppressed, or whatever, and then it turns out to be true. That's a glory to you. There's honor in that. And so God is almost saying, by Jesus coming through them, Simeon's recognizing what a glory and honor that is. If you're an Israelite, and the Savior, the Messiah, comes just as he's been promised through your people to bring salvation or light to everyone, there's glory or honor in that. Um, And so Simeon recognizes that God is keeping his promise and bringing glory to Israel. And really Israel can glory in that and say that the Savior is from them. So with that said, I I just think about some, some thoughts for us today. If Simeon's able to recognize Jesus in his infancy as being a light to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. Again, how much more so with the fulfillment of Scripture and the whole story and being able to see what Jesus did and what he taught, should we be able to recognize that about Jesus? And really, not so much being able to recognize that. I think that's a huge part of it. But how much more should that be a chief component of our message to other people? Jesus is a light for everybody. Just as Simeon would have said, you know, you can approach somebody on, at work or at school or, you know, on the sidewalk or on the train or whatever, wherever you find yourself, and that can be a beginning conversation. Um, you know, you, you say, you know what, well, Jesus was for everybody. How many people have you heard kind of say that? I've heard variations of that form. Jesus is for everybody. Jesus isn't for any one group of people. He's not exclusive in that way. He doesn't come just to save the wealthy or the poor or the sick or the healthy, literally speaking. But Jesus is for everyone. And so that's basically what Simeon's saying. Jesus is a light for every single person, although he is especially a glory to Israel. Um, you know, how much, how much part of our message should that core thing be just as Simeon noticed we should notice that Jesus is a light and that really fulfills scripture that was promised for a long time that he would be a light for everybody 
And so really a part of your message can be, you know what, Simeon recognized this about Jesus, and thank God it's true that he fulfilled that, that God has made a plan for all people to come through Jesus. Um, All right, so the third thing that he recognizes about Jesus as he continues to talk about him, and I believe this transitions from who Jesus is more into what he does, is that he's the cause and the fall cause of the fall and rise of many in Israel. So specifically, this is going to talk about the Jewish people, the Israelites. Um, He's going to be a point in which somebody either falls or they rise. And there's plenty of scripture that give credence to this idea, old and new. Um, We may think of Isaiah chapter 8, if you want to turn there. This is actually what um, 1 Peter 2 references which we're probably a lot more familiar with 1 Peter 2. At least I am. I don't want to discredit you guys like that, but I'm a lot more familiar with 1 Peter 2. But in uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, it reads, And he, speaking of, of Jesus, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So it was prophesied that this one, this he, was going to cause Israel to stumble. It was going to be offensive. And it says, in fact, he uses a little more explicit language. It says he's going to be a rock of stumbling and a trap and a snare. Something about Jesus is really going to hinder a big group of people. Something about him is just going to be something that when you come to it, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to be trapped. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. 1 Peter 2 uh, elaborates on this a little bit more, uh, and a little more clearly because it's in hindsight, so we get a little fuller image. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll read verses 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is what we just read, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. All right. And so again, in First, or in first Peter chapter 2, it's speaking about the role that Jesus uh, fulfills and has, uh, as it says in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone. So really this idea, I think, uh, is First Peter 2 is really building this case through the Old Testament of how God's people are holy and sanctified. And when you come to Jesus, he's really the cornerstone of what application point is. You build your life on, but the image is kind of like the temple. He's the cornerstone of this holy people. But, as Scripture says, when people come to Jesus, as they were destined to do, like Isaiah 8, some people are going to trip over that. Jesus is not what they want for whatever reason. It's not what they're going to believe. It's not what they want to hear. And God describes that as a tripping or a stumbling. They're going to come to Jesus, and it's just going to be a problem for them. Um, Simeon is able to recognize this about Jesus as a baby. That Jesus is going to be a point of contention in that way. 
And the way he phrases it is he's going to be the cause of the fall. And that's really what we've been focusing on so far in this passage. But he also says, and rise of many in Israel. And I think 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us a little more light on that. In that context, yes, there's going to be those who stumble because Jesus to them is offensive and a stumbling block. But then it also says for those who obey the word or in a couple verses before in 1 Peter 2, it says, or those who believe, what is he going to be in that passage? Well, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, he's going to be a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So to me, that's a fulfillment of how Jesus, in hindsight, was the cause of the rise of many in Israel. Just as Jesus is going to be a point of contention and stumbling, he's also going to cause people be able to rise they're going to come to him and really and in our minds you might think find life find stability find hope he's going to lift them up we might say it that way but either way this same person is going to be one of two things for every individual that encounters him he's going to be one of two things so Simeon is able to see that and there's passages that he fulfills like Isaiah 8. There's passages that we understand as Christians a little more clearly maybe in 1 Peter 2 that are the same idea. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, really all the way from verse 18 to verse 30 is just a discussion. It's just an elaboration on how Jesus is a point of division. He seems foolish, and it seems like folly, and it seems weak and powerless, and it seems like almost a mistake. You get the impression that when you read this, like, this can't be it. But the people that believe that, it says, are the ones who are perishing. And you almost get this idea of the ones that come to them and stumble. They're being hurt because of the seeming weakness and folly and all those things. But... In verse 18, to those who are perish or, or those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the cornerstone. It is um, God's wisdom versus man's wisdom, right? I mean, this this passage as we talked about a couple months ago when we were going through 1 Corinthians, really is that delineation. Some people are going to come to Jesus and it looks like a mess, and so they trip over it. And some people come to Jesus and they find salvation in it. Because it's the wisdom of God. And it, even though it looks foolish, they see it for what it is. And so Jesus is that point of division for people. And Simeon recognizes that. Um, and I think he gives us some insight into how that works a little bit. Uh, right after he says that in Luke 2. In Luke 2, uh, he says... This child, in verse uh, 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. That is going to be his role. He's appointed for that. And for a sign that is opposed. So again, there's indication that Jesus is going to have this one big thing that's just really going to be opposed. But look what he says. and He's speaking to Mary when he's saying these things. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It seems to me when I read this, as he's speaking to Mary, he's saying, hey, this child's going to be appointed for the falling and rising 
of many in Israel, and for a sign that's opposed. But then he says, and a sword's going to pierce your own heart also. But it has a purpose. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. To me, without saying it, he's saying in so many different ways that there's going to be one event, one moment in your son's life that's going to provide all of these things. Um, and certainly we look at that and say that's got to be his crucifixion. Um, think about why he would say to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I can only imagine that's an appeal to her role as mother. <laughs> her son is going to be killed, and that hurts. I can't imagine describing it any, in any other way than a sword going through your own soul. I mean, I'm sure Chuck and Pat can attest to that, how much that hurts your heart when something like that happens, when your child dies. And so I think Simeon is saying to Mary, what this sign is going to hurt you personally, but the, the role of it says the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I think it's interesting that he uses the word sword. He said a sword's going to pierce your heart. It's going to hurt you, Mary. But that same sword is going to reveal the thoughts of other people as well. I think, uh, and that's, that's the last thing I want us to look at that Simeon says about Jesus. He's going to be the revealer of hearts. Whatever this big thing is, that sword that hurts Mary is also going to be able to be the thing that reveals the hearts of other people as well. Um, go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. All right, Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll just read verses 12 and 13 here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, it's speaking pretty clearly just of God's word kind of in this, this whole big picture. God's message pierces hearts. But what is the culmination of God's message? Um, the culmination or the climax of the message is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The one who was appointed as one who'd caused the fall and rise of many. One who's appointed so that, you know, not only would Mary's heart be pierced, but others' hearts would be pierced. It seems like Jesus is inherently connected to the piercing. I mean, we, we read this as the word, and I think that's true. I think we could read Genesis and see things in there that speak to us and in a way reveal kind of the heart that we have towards God. But really, it's Jesus that gets down to it and says, what kind of heart do you have? What, how do you respond to what Jesus did for you? It's really when we think about the crucifixion, the resurrection, the death, the suffering, all those things that were confronted with how he was that dividing point. How he was appointed for the fall and rise of many because it's based on that event that people either fall or rise. And so Simeon, as he's looking at this baby, 
he's able to say all these great things and these wonderful insights that God gives him and how he's able to be blessed by seeing the comfort of Israel. But really, I think as a Christian today, when I read through Luke 2, and I look at Simeon looking at a baby and being able to say that he's going to be the revealer of hearts, this little infant, I think about what that should do for me when I look at Jesus. Do I look at Jesus and think about him as kind of a, a nice guy, as a comfort, um, as comfortable? Or do I look at him as an indication of where my heart is? Because I think there's a sense in which the first time we approach Jesus and kind of in a, a sense we confront him, we're presented with him, there's an immediate indication of what kind of heart I have. My gut reaction to Jesus, I think, tells me where I am right in that moment. But there's also a sense in which there's a day-to-day -day reaction to Jesus. There's a day-to-day -day kind of rising and falling. Today, what is the word going to reveal about my heart today? And in this moment and in this context? Or what is Jesus going to show me today? I think about how each day, you know, you're confronted maybe with the same scenario, in a way, over and over again. And depending on your mood in the day, you might succeed or fail in that scenario. But then also different scenarios. As you confront other people in different situations, I think every day we're kind of saying, or showing God from the things we know from His Word, our heart. You know, do I believe that prayer is useful? Do I believe that forgiveness of sins is essential? Do I believe that God is real? And in a way, we're kind of revealing our heart all the time by the way we act. But Jesus is always at the core of that. So when we talk to people, one lesson for us, I think, is we're learning about Jesus. We're just kind of studying text. But as we're trying to live things out, one thing that I think we can get from this is that when we talk to people and they're not a believer or they've never heard of Jesus or whatever the case is, we present Jesus as a decision point. We present Jesus not just as a friend or a judge or whatever, but we simply present him as Simeon presented him, the revealer of hearts. When we show someone Jesus, we let them know, like, your response to Jesus not only shows others, but really is a revelation to God what kind of heart you have. Um, Jesus has been instituted and appointed to be that person that is allowed to do that. You know, I'm not, I think that's hard for me sometimes. Like, I can meet somebody, and like, maybe at a Bible study, or I just meet somebody on a sidewalk or whatever, and like, it's my judgment about them from, from Scripture that lets me know if they're godly or not. But really, it's their response to Jesus that lets you know their heart. And if they respond to Jesus the way that God says we need to, then we know where they are. And so that's how we need to present Jesus. That's why it's important to present Jesus to people, because they need to have an opportunity to respond. They need to have an opportunity, not just to fall, because we're afraid of that. We don't want to present somebody with a stumbling block in a good sense with Jesus. We're afraid that they're not going to respond well. But if we never give them that chance, how will they rise? How will they find Jesus in belief, as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, as a cornerstone? And so, in a way, my 
trepidation or my own personal fears really hinders Jesus' role as the revealer of hearts. And so if we think about it that way, we need to live up to the call um, the kind of Simeon, I think, by application is putting on people. We need to recognize that Jesus has these roles and we need to be the ones to let him use those roles. We need to be the ones that present people with Jesus and let God do his work. We need to be the ones that um, recognize that God, through Jesus, has the power to cause people to fall, cause people to rise, reveal their hearts, so that Jesus... Jesus will provide them with what they need. So as we look at this lesson, um, I did want us to kind of focus on the things in Luke 2 just because I think they're interesting and how they fulfill Scripture and how much Simeon can see in Jesus, even though he's just a baby. But I think, hopefully at least, I think maybe you've been making your kind of own personal applications or notes in your head as we go through this lesson of why maybe it's helpful for you. Um, but just think about these things as in terms of evangelism, things we need to know about Jesus so that we can talk about him better, so we can see how he's a promise and how he's a fulfillment of Scripture. But also I think understanding these things helps round out how we present Jesus and why we present Jesus, because he is um, the manifestation of God's uh, division of believer and unbeliever. He's the manifestation of how God is going to see hearts. And so I think that's helpful for us. Hopefully this lesson's been helpful for you. Hopefully um, you're able to see some things in this lesson that you can grow in. This lesson's really one of my, this passage is really one of my favorites. And so this lesson maybe kind of was lost in that just because there's a lot of things I like about it. it maybe wasn't as helpful to you as other lessons could have been. But hopefully you're able to find things in it to learn about Jesus and to live out. Thank you.